happy to be right here at Lakeview Church today. Let's give the Lord a big hand. We're excited that you're with us. Right now, would you do a favor for me? We have several people that are tuning in online. Let's give them a big hand as well. Amen. I want to thank you for being with us here at Lakeview Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Mark. I'm the executive pastor here. Sometimes uh, I preach here every once in uh, like a blue moon, but I'm so excited to do it today. Pastor Daniel is over there in Vernon, and this afternoon at 5 p.m., we're going to have our first anniversary service uh, over there in Vernon at the Will Barger Auditorium. We want to invite each and every one of you guys to come on over. We're going to be having a great barbecue dinner. Did I say a great barbecue dinner? How many know this is Texas? And Texans like barbecue, don't they? And so that's what we're doing. We, we figured we'd have a lot of Texans. There will probably be nobody from Oklahoma there, though. So you'll be safe, okay? Um, sorry about that. But it'll be really good. It, it, huh? I repent. Yes, I do. All right. <laughs> but uh, it'll be a great service. We're going to have barbecue we're going to worship together. Pastor Daniel's going to be sharing about his vision, the thing that the Lord has put in his heart about this coming year, some things that uh, the Lord's been sharing in the lives of people within our church that he's also going to share those things as well. So I encourage you to come out. Uh, it's 2100 Yamparika. Uh, you can put that in your GPS. Hopefully you can find that. It's the main, uh, let, me, let me just say it this way. Take the main exit, the very uh, main exit, main street exit, Go south, go south through, let's see, two lights, go to a little Indian restaurant on your right-hand side, turn right, go three blocks, and you're there. I believe we can do that. That's directions, right? Amen, I told you. I'm not that old yet. Hallelujah. All right, I don't know how to get somewhere. Today is week two of this wonderful um, series that we're calling A Glorious Return. A Glorious Return. How many believe Jesus is returning someday? Amen. How many would do you, uh, say that'd be okay if he did that today? Yay. You know, barbecue's good, but heaven's better. Come on. Yay. So uh, this is a study on the second coming of Jesus. And again, many have questions about the last days. About the last days as well as about the rapture. What is the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ? There are a lot of questions around these, uh, que uh, um, around these topics how many believe the time is near? You know what? Here's what I believe. It's nearer today than it was yesterday. I think that's a truth that we can, we can all buy into. That, that you, Some people say, well, I've heard this in the church all my life. I heard it in the church all my life that Jesus is coming back. I've heard it all my life. And, and you know what? They weren't wrong, and I'm not wrong. He's coming back. And whether it's in our lifetime or not, we need to be prepared. Can you say amen to that? But I believe I know the reason why people are asking this question, when is, are these the end times? Is the rapture happening soon? Why would everybody ask these questions? I don't know if you saw Friday night, uh, Morocco had a, a, a devastating earthquake. 2,000 people died. We've just come out of a two-year pandemic. How many enjoyed that? That was wonderful. We've just come out of a two-year, and what's happening now? There's a threat of a mandate to wear masks again. What's going on? And then if you are paying attention to the news at all, you realize that uh, Russia and China are aligning themselves. They even have ships off the coast of Israel. I mean, there are things going on. 
How many know the Iranians are trying to enrich uh, uranium? They want to create a bomb. And, and of course, all of this fits into Bible prophecy. I think you might know this, but you may not. One-third of your Bible is prophecy. One-third of your Bible is prophecy. Quite a bit of it has already come to pass. Some of it won't come to pass until after we're gone. But what I know is that Jesus could return any day. You know, Ezekiel 38 even speaks of this alignment between Russia and China. We learned about that last week. There's this alignment, and it speaks of it in Ezekiel 38. And any person with any knowledge of Scripture would rightly be concerned about what's happening in our, in our world today. I mean, I think you would just be rightly concerned. But it's not concerned to the point that you should become anxious, or as some people would say, freaked out. We don't need to be freaked out. We don't need to be anxious. How many know our God's the Prince of Peace? Jesus came to give us peace. He said, my peace I leave with you, not the peace that the world gives. What would be the peace that the world gives? The world will give a peace saying, nothing's wrong, everything's cool. But Jesus puts peace in your heart so that even when everything isn't cool, you can still be at peace. And so let's not become anxious, not even a little bit. Why? Because I've got great news for you. I want to encourage you with this. Jesus is coming back. Come on. We are to encourage one another. Paul said it. Encourage one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Jesus is coming back. Look at your neighbor. Tell him Jesus is coming back. So like we said, for those that know him, this story is not a horror story. This story is a love story. It's a love story about how he loves us. How do we know he loves us? John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said this. In your Bible, if you have a red letter edition, it will be in red letters. Why? Because it's Jesus speaking to us. How many, how many pay attention when Jesus speaks? Man, I want to pay attention every time he speaks. He's the word of God made flesh. He came and dwelled among us. Amen? And when we read the Bible, we're reading the very character and person of Jesus Christ. Everything that God is and who he is and what he does and what he's done for us is contained in the pages of this book. And so it's so important for us to look at scripture and say, this is for me. Do not, Jesus said, do not. Jesus is not going to give you a command if you can't do it. But in him, you can do this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be filled with anxiety. Don't get freaked out. Why? Because you believe in God. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? He said, if this isn't true, would I have lied to you? Jesus can't lie. Matter of fact, if Jesus says something, it comes to pass. Come on. And so I go and prepare a place for you. And if I do, I will come back. How many are, I, I mean, I, I, I uh, gained great encouragement from the fact that Jesus said in his own words, I will come back. I want you to see it as if Jesus were standing right here and he looked at you right in the eyes and he said, don't you worry about a thing. I'm coming back for you. Don't you worry about a thing. Because I want you to be with me. 
that you also may be where I am. Jesus loves us. And this is the motivation. We can see it. This is the motivation for Jesus' return. What is it? His love for us. He loves us. That the plan of God would be fulfilled and that people would have the opportunity to know him is the reason we're here on the earth right now. That's the only reason. Amen? Because if God didn't care about that right now, he would just come back and, and take the ones that love him now and, 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 and eventually there will be those that, that have separated themselves from God by their own uh, desire to pay for their own sin. Jesus paid for mine. <laughs> Thank God. And so the main motivation is that this is a love story, not a horror story. So last week we shared about all of this. We would say that's the why. Why is Jesus coming back? This is the why. He loves us. Man, he loves me. Can I just tell you this? I remember sitting in a van with a, a group of people that I was in Bible school with at Woodland Hills Mall in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we just pulled into the mall, a group of guys in the back of a panel van. I was sitting on the, the wheel well, just sitting there on the wheel well. No seatbelt, by the way. But anyway, I was sitting there on the wheel well. And uh, we were driving, and I wasn't really talking to the guys. The music was playing, and I was just meditating on the Lord. And all of a sudden, I heard him say, I love you. Oh, man. I broke down in tears right there. They probably thought I was, like, depressed or weird or something. But I broke down in tears right there. Why? Because Jesus said he loves me. But you know what? If he never spoke that to your heart, you have it in this word that he loves me. I, I just want to stay here just for a minute. Somebody needs to know that God's putting his arms around you right now. He loves you. Don't ever say he doesn't. Don't ever wonder whether he does. He loves you. And so that's the why. Today we're going to talk about the what. What do you think we're going to talk about next week? The when. Last week was the why. Today's the what. Next week's the when. So many again are asking, are we living in the last days? I think it's a funny question. We said this last week. It's, the only, it's a funny question because we're living in the only days that we're ever going to have. So whether you, Jesus comes back or not, for most of us, this is our last days. Come on. You know, in the scope of eternity, if I live 80 years on the earth, I'm in my last days. So what am I going to do about it? How am I going to live? What am I going to do? Well, let me help you with the question. We're going to help you next week with the question of when. We're going to talk about the signs and times. And I want you to know that we're close. But for today, we are going to spend the next few minutes and we're going to survey the entire book of Revelation. How many are so glad? Just take your watches off, throw them away. We're going to be here a while, okay? I'm joking. We're going to, it's no small task, but we're going to do it in the time that's allotted me. And I'm going to share it in such a way, I like to say it this way, is the candy's on the, on the bottom shelf. You know what I mean? The candy's on the bottom shelf. It's not going to be hard to understand. You'll see it. And if you have any questions, you'll want to do some reading on your own. But uh, while this may be, and, and this is, let me just say it this way, this is going to be a very heavy message. There's not going to be a lot of joking or anything like that, so let me tell you a story first before we get started. I've got uh, my, my son and his wife and their four kid, or three kids, 
man, I hope that's not prophetic, but anyway, uh, their three kids moved from Las Vegas to Fort Worth. But I was out there visiting them in Las Vegas, and my littlest one said, Pa, Pa, where does rain come from? I thought it'd be cute to tell him, when it rains, that's when you know God is crying. He goes, God? I mean, he goes, Pa, why is God crying? I told him, I said, uh, well, it's probably because of something you did. How many think I might have scarred him for the rest of his life? I'm only kidding. Can I tell you this, though? We have nothing but obedient children in North Texas because it never rains here. So last week we shared the why. Today we're going to share the what. The book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. The word revelation is the Greek word apocalypso where we get our word apocalypse. The book of Revelation was only a revelation to John because for most people it leaves us dazed and confused. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for his confession of faith in Jesus Christ. He was on this island. He was never going to get off. And you would say, well, how could God ever use him? Here's how God used him. In chapter 1, John received a visitation from Jesus. It was the first main event of the book of Revelation. The first of the six major events that will happen from chapter 2 to chapter 22. And I want you to know something right here. Is that if you hold a Bible in your hand, you are, the, you are holding the only book in history that accurately predicts the future. So the first event, this first event is called the church age. It's the age in which we live right now. We are living in the church age. The, uh, Christianity or the world, actually, life, if you will, has been, uh, uh, there, are, there are several different dispensations of life. We are in the dispensation called the dispensation of the church or what others call the dispensation of grace. We are under his grace. Jesus shares, us, shares with us, though, how we're to get ready in the church age for his return. Because, see, he's going to come back. But in these passages of Scripture in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he discusses his instruction to us as the church of how we, as the bride of Christ, should be ready for him when he returns. So the next event takes place then in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. It's called the rapture of the church. How many are looking forward to the rapture? They're looking forward to the rapture? I am too. I can't wait. What is the rapture? Well, it's an event described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where, uh, where uh, before all the terrible things that take place that you've probably heard about, the church will be caught away. The the, the, the English translation is caught away. It means to be snatched. It means to be grasped or grabbed out. And the church is going to be snatched away, grabbed or grabbed out. Uh, people say this word isn't even found in the Bible, but the Greek word for caught away, it, the Greek word there is harpazo, and that's the word that actually means snatched. 
But while people say in the English language, there's, there, there's no place in the Bible that you will find the word rapture, that's not true in the Latin Bible. In the Latin Bible, you find the word rapture, it's rapturo, and it's in this very place, meaning to be caught away, snatched away, or grasped away. And here's how it's described in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I want you to look there. After this, I looked, John said, in this vision, and there before me was a door standing wide open in heaven. The door was wide open. And notice what he heard. He heard the trumpet say, come up here. Now, if you'll read the, um, the book of Revelation, you'll, you'll realize that John in his vision is going through every single thing that is actually happening. He's seeing it. And so when the heavens opened up and the trumpet sounded, he went to heaven. And you know what that represents? That re represents the church. That represents those that love him. I find it very telling that the word church is never again mentioned in the book of Revelation beyond this point of Revelation 4.1. What does that mean? 18 times the word church is used in, in Revelation 1 through the end of, of the, the third book. But at 4.1... You never hear it again. Why is that? It's because the church isn't there. The church isn't there. So when you read Revelation 4 through 22, the church isn't there until the very end. Come on, somebody. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 9 says this. Now, brothers and sisters, who are we talking to? Christians. Look at your brother or sister on your right or on your left. Say, I'm part of the church. So now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. How many know that? We all know that, don't we? We know that the coming of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. You will not have much time to prepare, so what do we have to do? We have to be prepared now. We have to be prepared now. You're not going to be able to say, well, you know what? I want to sow my wild oats and then I'll be prepared. No, because you don't know when it's going to happen because it's going to come as a thief in the night. So while people are saying peace and safety, interestingly, I always share this, that the UN, their motto is peace and safety. I think that's funny. But while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. Suddenly like what? Like labor pains. Ladies. Those labor pains, they come on suddenly, don't they? They, they kind of they freak you out with those Braxton Hicks every once in a while. They'll just like, hey, we're coming. No, we're not. But then all of a sudden, it happens. And can you stop it? You're not going to be able to stop the rapture from happening either. You say, well, I don't believe in the rapture. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because it's happening anyway. And so... Destruction will come on them suddenly, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, point at yourself, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. God doesn't want you in darkness. He wants to shine the light on you so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. Why, God? Because I did not appoint you to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You will not have to endure the tribulation. 
which is the third event that is listed in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6 through 19, some uh, 14 verses there about uh, the tribulation, explaining everything. It begins by the revealing of the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians, the Bible says this, that the Antichrist cannot come until the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. The Holy Spirit resides in Christians. So the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church is snatched away. But once we're out of the way and the Holy Spirit's out of the earth, that which will hold back is no longer there. That's what uh, 2 Thessalonians calls the Holy Spirit, the one which holds, is holding back the, the revealing of the Antichrist. You know, all through ages, people say, this person's the Antichrist, that person's the Antichrist, this other person's the Antichrist. One thing that we know, he'll be political in nature, and he'll promise, he'll promise the moon. And for about three and a half years, he'll deliver. But at halfway point of the tribulation, he's turning. Why? Because he is of his father, the devil. And man, things start getting bad. You don't want to be here. And so all hell breaks forth. And can you imagine when John on the Isle of Patmos some 2,000 years ago, he's sitting there writing this vision out and he sees nuclear bombs, jets, helicopters, all kinds of uh, uh, weapons of war. What is he supposed to think? What kind of technology is he used to? Huh? The, the wheel, that's good. <laughs> that's about the extent of his technology, and he's trying to describe what he's seeing and write it down. That's crazy to me. So when, it, when you go in here and you read about chariots of fire, no, he's doing his best. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and then the fourth event, after the tribulation, found in Revelation 19 and 20, is the second coming of Christ. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the rapture is the catching away of the church. The second coming of Christ is when he comes to defeat the enemy. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. Who's that? That's Jesus. And with justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. His name written on him that, one, that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which he... Uh, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I think it's kind of interesting that in Colossians, Paul calls us, the church, kings. Well, if Jesus is king of kings, he's our king. Amen. If he's Lord of lords, he's our Lord. I want you to do something with me. Just sit in there. Just close your eyes real quick. Just lift your hands to him right now. Just acknowledge him as king of kings, king of my life, king of my life, Lord 
of my life. Jesus, you're my king. You're my Lord. Up to this point, we may have been trying to go our own way. But at this point, we yield ourselves 100% to you. We commit to you. You are my king. In Jesus' name, amen. He's our king. He's our Lord. And so basically, what happens here is the very end of what we call the Battle of Armageddon, where Jesus comes to defeat the enemy. And when Jesus settles it, how many know it's over? It's over. And Satan is locked up, and it's over. And then you know what we do after that? Well, it's been a battle, so we're going to have lunch. Come on, we're going to eat. What do we call it? The marriage supper of the Lamb. A season of celebration. How many here? We know we like to eat. You know, we're trying to entice you to come over there to Vernon with food because we know that if you feed them, they will come. Amen? Amen. Jesus knows the same thing. I'm going to feed them. They're going to come. Amen. The fifth event after this is what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Revelation chapter 20. And notice what it says in Revelation 20, 11 through 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. Who did? The earth and the heavens. Why? Because it's the old earth, the old heavens. We're gone. They're going to flee from this. Why? Because they're afraid of it. They fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead and the great, uh, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. You know who's going to be standing there? The nine billion people that are presently on the planet that don't know him and all the people that ever ever lived on this earth back to the day of Adam, they'll all be there standing before the throne. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, billions of people. And then I want you to see this. You've got your notes there. I want you to look at this scripture either in your notes or on the screen. It says, and books were opened. Notice books, plural, were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. We call it the Lamb's book of life. And notice that the dead, dead means they were separated from God because they never knew Christ. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The dead. You know what? There are things recorded of us in the books, but we're not having to pay for that. Why? Because our name is written in the book. The Lamb's Book of Life, whereby the, the sin that we committed that would have been recorded in this book have been cleansed and washed away by what? The blood of Jesus Christ, our sacrifice, our Savior. And when we accepted him, that was cleansed. And we are not held accountable for our sin because of what he did for us. How many know this? Those people that are written in that book and have to account to that, they are choosing to pay for their own sin. And the cost of that sin is eternal separation from God. That's worse. That's worse than what hell is described to be. And can I tell you this? Hell will be a place of supreme regret. Now, to me, that'll be the worst thing that happens in hell, that you live in eternal regret. Why? Because many of those people will have heard a message just like this message I'm preaching today. And they will have made the decision not to accept that sacrifice, but say, no, 
I got this. And in their arrogance and in their hubris, they will not be able to pay for their own sin. It's why we're here. So you will either be judged by the book or you'll be judged by the books. And here, folks, I want my name in the book. The sixth event is the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21 and 22. The earth will be restored. What will it look like? Anybody read Genesis 1-1 before the fall? Before the fall of man. Before sin entered the world. We will be restored. This earth will be restored and it will look just like it looked in Genesis 1-1. All will come into order. All chaos will be removed. There will be no sickness, no, no disease. There will be no sin. And again, the only place reserved for sin will be hell. And hell is the price you pay when you want to pay for your own sin. Revelation 19, 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. How? Why? For the wedding of the lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. We are the bride. We've made ourselves ready. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. How many know? I've got three daughters, one married. I know how much money I spent for that wedding. I remember when she bought her dress about eight months before her wedding. And then the whole eight months concerned about whether she'd be able to fit in the dress when the eight months got there. It worked out every day. You know what I mean? That's what brides will do. Why? Because they're trying to make themselves ready. They make the sacrifices that it takes to make themselves ready on their wedding day, right? They make the sacrifice. They go to dad. Dad, I need X number of dollars. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, this is your budget. You know, some people's budget's $10,000. Some people's budget's $20,000. You know, they might even be a budget of $100,000. And I've seen some that budgets blow $100,000 out of the water. That's crazy type of preparation for a 20-minute ceremony. <laughs> you know what I mean? The reception lasts longer than the ceremony. Probably costs more, too. Here's the thing, folks. With all that preparation going on, with everything you got to buy, you might even have a wedding planner. Well, what lets Jesus be our wedding planner? Because Jesus wants to plan this wedding. Jesus wants to let us know that... Um, there are some things we can do to ready ourselves. And if we'll look to him as our wedding planner and we'll say, Jesus, show us how to prepare to get ready for this day. He says, I'll do that. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Because it matters about the preparation of the bride. And so we need to get ourselves ready. So if you have your notes there, it'd be under number one, it says Ephesus. See, in Ephesians, I mean, in Revelation chapter 2 and, and actually chapter 3, uh, Jesus began to speak to the angels of the seven churches. The angels of the seven churches. Now, the word angels there is the word messenger. And it's, it's, it's translated angel, but here's what I really believe. Who are the messengers to the church? The pastors are. Pastors are the messengers to the church. And here's what I believe Jesus 
was saying to the leaders of the church. And if he's saying it to the leaders of the church, the reason why is he wants to communicate it to the church. And so the reason why we're communicating this to you is because we want you to be prepared and know how to be prepared. Come on, somebody. I want to be prepared for the return of Jesus. How many want to join me? I want, to be returned. I want to be prepared, and it is our responsibility, Pastor Daniel, myself, Pastor Clint, our responsibility is to make sure this church is prepared. That's our responsibility. We can't do it for you, but we can make sure we told you. Ephesus, number one, he said, what you need to do is return to your first love. Revelation 2, 4, and 5, notice what Jesus said, yet I hold this against you. So he already told them some good things that they were doing, but then he says, yet I hold this against you. What does that mean? That means Jesus, I, I did a message here not too long, well, several years ago now, called Jesus in our midst. And can I tell you right now, Jesus is walking the aisles of this church right now. And not just this one, but every church in America that, that proclaims his name and honors his presence. And he's in the midst of us right now. Jesus is in the midst of his church. And what is he doing? He's making observation, just like he made observation in the church of Ephesus and all the other six other churches. And here's what he did. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Can I tell you this? Sometimes when people get saved, I remember when I was saved, it was some 57 years ago that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I remember the way it felt. I felt clean. I felt like I had a new relationship. I felt like I could take on the world. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? I knew I was loved and I knew that I had a Savior. I knew that hell would never be my home. Man, I was so excited. I wanted to tell people. I wanted to serve him. But then after a while, I matured. And sometimes we, we mistake the word maturity for apathy. We say, I've matured. I don't have to do this or that or the other thing. And we become apathetic in the way that we live for our God, in the way that we honor our God. And sometimes uh, uh, we just have no desire to really serve him. We just want to make sure we make it through the gates. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We, we say it this way. I just want my fire insurance paid up. <laughs> I just want to go to heaven. I want to live like I want to live. I just want to go to heaven. And that's what he's saying. You have, you, have, you have to return to your first love. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, what does that mean? You know, in, in all honesty, it can mean a lot of things, but here's what I think it means. Lampstand is always a type of the Holy Spirit. And there's a Holy Spirit in a church. But if a church will not honor their first love, that means they're following other things. They're being distracted by other things. They could even be listening to false teaching and, and, and that type of thing. Uh, um, he will remove their lampstand or remove the Spirit of God from within their midst. Now, can I tell you this? I don't know what that looks like, and I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I want him here, and I want him here always. And so what do I do? I fall in love with Jesus again. And as we read these warnings, I want you to understand that he's talking to the church, and that not every one of us does every one of these bad things. You understand what I'm saying? It just doesn't. Matter of fact, we may get down to the end, and you're like, no, I'm good. 
But be honest as we look at this. Please just be honest with yourself. I'm going to be honest with myself. You know what I'm saying? I mean, while we have the responsibility to communicate it, we also have the responsibility to live it. Second church is Smyrna. And he needed them to remain faithful. Why does he say to them, I need you to remain faithful? Why? Because it's going to get hard. These these last days are going to get hard, but the difficulty we go through here in America is not like the difficulty that many Christians go through around the world. Can I tell you, right now, right now, somewhere in the world, somebody will give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. We're removed from that. We don't sense that. We don't feel that. We don't think that they're, we hear the stories of martyrs, but we don't really connect with that because we're not there. Nobody puts it on the TV. But I'm telling you, there are people dying for the cause of Christ. And God forbid that ever come to America, but you know what? I don't believe we're that far off. So in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, here's what he told them. It's going to get hard. But then he said, do not be afraid about what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Then he says, be faithful. Be faithful how? Even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. Could we, can we stand uh, stand before our death? Stand there knowing that in, uh, this may be our last breath. Can we stand there with the vision of the crown of life that Jesus is going to give to us should that happen? This is a level of commitment, folks. This is a high level of commitment. That's why, you know, I want to tell a joke. I told a joke because this is hard. But it's true. When Jesus shared with many of the disciples that stood before him, and he told them the hardship that they might have to endure, many of them left him. Because they didn't want to endure the hardship. But you know what? Just like trading your porridge, trade your birthright for porridge, you're trading a life here of pleasantries on earth for an eternity with Jesus Christ. And I just don't think it, I don't think it balances So be faithful. Number three, in Pergamum, he told them, reject doctrinal extremes. Revelation 2.14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. He's been looking into the church. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. What was the teaching of Balaam? It's what we would call hyper grace. How many know that we're saved by grace? That's not of our own. You know, it was given to us by God. It's a God-given grace that we were saved Right? But a hyper grace says this. Sin doesn't matter. Paul said it this way. You say, if sin abound, grace does much more abound, why don't we just live a life of sin? That's that teaching of hyper grace. That you can get saved and do whatever you want because it doesn't matter. You're saved. But here's the thing. It does matter. Because it was the teaching of Balaam that taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. And then likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. It's called hyper-truth. 
This is the hyper-truth where they are judgmental and condemning of every person. Oh, you didn't dot that I. You didn't cross that T. You, you disobeyed right there. You're in trouble. Everybody's in trouble. All is, everybody's bad. You're not doing anything right. Well, how many know that's not true? That's not true either. There are two extremes. It says that either sin doesn't matter or grace doesn't matter. But neither one of these is true. Jesus brought us grace and truth. But can I tell you, grace always comes first. Because grace invites you to be free, but then it's truth that can set you free. And let me say it this way. You have to accept grace to be free. You have to do the truth to be set free. It's the truth you know that sets you free, not just the truth. It's the truth you know, the truth you employ, the truth you walk out. So let's walk out the truth. Come on, somebody. Truth without grace is very mean. It's very judgmental. It's very mean. People have probably been to churches like that. But then grace without truth is meaningless. You're not living a life that supports any kind of of um, honor of God himself. Think about the woman taken in adultery. Do you all remember her? The woman taken in adultery. He, he said, those without sin throw the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they began to walk away. It was the youngest who were a little arrogant, thought, I can throw this stone. But when it all came down to it, they knew that they had committed sin too and they could not throw the stone. And so then Jesus said to her, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here. And he said, neither do I accuse you. That's grace. Then he said, go and sin no more. That's truth. Grace and truth. Number four, Thyatira. Thyatira, the fourth church. He told them to remove impurity. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on this because our society is, is in need of this message badly. Revelation 2.20 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate. Do you notice he didn't even say you get involved with? It's just that you tolerate it. I tolerate it. When I'm pointing the finger, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm just preaching. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nevertheless, although I may be pointing the finger at somebody, I don't know. It's the word that's doing it. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads. Okay. So she calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads. False prophet, false teacher. False prophet, false teacher. There are those in the body of Christ today who are false prophets, false teachers. How do we know them? It's by their message that we know them. And here's what that message looks like. She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of foods sacrificed to idols. Now, I've heard this. I've heard this from people. I mean, not just once. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Oh, it's okay for me to do this. It's okay for me to live in sin. It's okay for me to have sex with my girlfriend. It's okay for me to be homosexual. It's okay for this, that, and the other thing because God told me it was okay. 
Can I tell you that your heart is exceedingly wicked? And people will tell you, you just need to be led by your heart. Just listen to your heart. You know what? Don't listen to your heart. Listen to the Holy Spirit in your heart. Because it's the Holy Spirit that will lead you in line with the Word of God. And he will never lead you outside of the, of the word of God. And so he will never condone something that the, world calls, or that the word calls sin. And so don't come and say, well, the Lord said it's okay if I do this. Because no, he didn't. Thank you very much. It's error. A lot of people today, a lot of people today change their, they change their theology to fit the way they want to live. And then they'll say something like this, well, I was born that way. Can I tell you this about myself? I was born angry. <laughs> I was born impatient. I was born selfish. I was born wanting my own way. Does that make it right? No. All of that is a result of the fall. All of those feelings, all of those desires are called fleshly desires. And they're not of God. And so saying I'm born that way is the reason why we get born again. It's the reason why we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. It's the reason why we need his blood to wash us clean. We're not born that way to stay that way. Come on, somebody. It's so important that you understand this. Because 2 Peter 2.18, listen to this. This is in the New Living Translation. It's talking about false teachers. And there are false teachers in the body of... Well, I'm not even saying they're in the body of Christ. They, they infect the body of Christ. These false teachers brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal. They appeal to twisted sexual desires. And what do they do? They lure. They seduce. Back into sin, those who have barely escaped the lifestyle of deception. Who are those? New Christians. Who do, they, who do they prey on? They prey on Christians that have just gotten born again. Or, or people that are young in their faith. Or people who have not grown in their faith. That's who they, they, they prey on. And they promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you... Are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse than before. Jesus said it this way, if your darkness is light, how dark is your darkness? If you think you're doing right when you're actually in disobedience. How much darker is that? And so instead of trying to justify sin by saying I was born this way, again, we need to say I am born again. I am free from the dominion of sin and I use my body as an instrument of righteousness for the glory of God. That's who I am. That's who you are. You have dominion over sin. Sin has no more dominion over you. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He gave you the keys and the authority of the kingdom of God. And you can say no to the devil. Don't let your theology gravitate to your behavior. Let your behavior gravitate to your theology. 
Number five, Sardis says, renew your purpose. Revelation 3, 2 and 3. Why don't you guys come on? Wake up. He said, wake up. Jesus told this church to wake up. They must have been asleep. How many have ever felt like you were asleep? You're just sleepwalking. He said, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Now we're going to talk about this next week. This is what we're going to talk about the most. Renewing your purpose next week. So just file this one away for now and we're going to cover it. And let's go on to the next one is Philadelphia. It's the only church that Jesus didn't have something to say about that they needed to to, um, correct. He only thanked them. Notice what he thanked them for. For their reverence of the word of God. That's what he thanked them for. Come on, somebody. He thanked them because they reverenced the word of God. They said, your word is first place. Your word is above all. I will obey your word at all costs. He said, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We need to love the word of God. We need to be lovers of truth. We need to read the word, respect the word, and see it as the playbook for our lives. Finally, Laodicea. Many of you have heard of the church of Laodicea because Jesus said that they needed to repent of their lukewarmness. Revelation 3, 15 and 17, I know your deeds. So he's talking about what they're doing. Their deeds are neither hot or neither cold nor hot. Now notice what he says. I wish you were one or the other. See, listen, cold is not bad. Hot is not bad. Lukewarm is bad. Cold is a refreshing flow. How how many need cold water? When you're thirsty, you need cold water. But when you're dirty, you need hot water. Come on. And you're either going to be hot or you're going to be cold. But when you're lukewarm, there's not much you can do with lukewarm water. He said, so because you were lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. How many have ever done that? You're on a hot day and you take a drink of water and it's hot. It's, it's not even hot. It's just lukewarm. It doesn't bring any refreshing. You just spit it out. And then you say, he said, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But do you not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? See, this is the warning to prepare And then he gives us this opportunity for relationship. How? Through repentance. Through repentance. Now, none of this is all of us. Are you with me? None of this is all of us. But some of this may be some of us. And it's at this moment I'm going to ask you to stand. Because this message is called, Here Comes the Bride. And when you see the bride coming through that back door in a wedding... They flip those doors open and that first note is hit on that that organ or keyboard. And everybody, and the minister says, everybody rise and everybody turns back to see the bride. What happens? You have a collective gasp. Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she beautiful? And see, that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to open those back doors, look at his church and go, isn't she beautiful? And so he is the one who prepares us for the wedding. And today is the day of the beginning of our preparation. We've all been in preparation all along, but can I say this to you? Preparation time is never wasted time. And there's there's things that we've dealt with before, 
and, and, and we've obeyed, but the more we obey, the closer we get to him that he's able to peel the onion back and show us a little bit more about ourselves that maybe we, didn't, we don't want to see, but he wants to deal with it in our heart. And that's us today, each and every one of us standing here, all of us standing here before the God in heaven. There's no me in you. There's no minister in laity. It's we're Christians. And we stand before our loving God who is filled with grace and mercy, but also is a God of truth and wants to point out to us areas that we need to make changes. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. It's at this point that I would like to say, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you might feel like this is not a good message, that this is a message that, that lets you know what the future is going to look like and you, you need to make a change. If that's you and you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior today, if you'll raise your hand, I'll pray with you right now. One, two, three, raise your hand. Thank you very much. One, two, three. Anybody else? Anybody else? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Don't wait. I'm serious. Do not wait. If you don't know him, don't wait. Let's pray this prayer together. If you raised your hand, pray this with me from your heart. Say this with me. Say, Father God, I thank you, everybody. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. I thank you that you raised him from the dead that I might be justified. And I accept that sacrifice today. Jesus, be my Lord. I accept you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you confess that today, you are saved right now. Let's give them a big hand. Now look at me. If you heard something in here today, and, I, and not from me, from the word. Come on, guys. I don't condemn anybody. I don't have the authority to condemn. I have the authority to share. And if the word of God touched you in any way today, where you see that I need to make a correction, do you know how do you make that correction? You make a decision. You make a heart adjustment. You say, no, I'm changing there. Lord Jesus, help me change there. So if that's you today, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything like that, but I'm asking you to make that change. And so I'm going to pray a prayer over you right now. But I, again, I want you to pray from the heart and say, Lord, change me. I confess my, my shortcoming. What does the Bible say? He's faithful and just to forgive you if you confess it, if you repent. Repent means to turn around. It means to go the other way. And so if there's a way that you're walking, your repentance gives you the authority and gives you the strength to walk the other way. Godly repentance is given by God because he's a good God. We read, we, we sang about it earlier. He gives you that repentance. Say, let's, let's pray. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you that you, you showed something in my heart today. You showed me something in my life that I've, I'm not doing right now. And I want to be a part of the bride ready, holy and white before you. And I'm asking you right now, I repent of those areas that I've had shortcomings, whether I've not put the word first place, whether I've been listening to false teachers or, or, or buying into false truth. Father, today I put that all aside and I say I commit my life to you. 
100% in Jesus' name.